Well, welcome. We're on this adventure into the word inconvenient, wrestling with what it is that God wants to, to do in our lives. And I'll be honest with you, I am, for our congregation, I am actually so excited about what God is doing in and amongst, in our midst. I'm, uh, uh, this past week has just, the Lord's reminded me of why I do what I do. We had a woman surrender her life to Jesus, grown woman, mom, that's been coming for a while, um, right there this morning, and that was just so exciting. Um, God put me in conversations with people I haven't been in touch with for a while, and they just began to talk about what it meant for them when they were in this area, going to college, to grow in their relationship to Christ, and how it changed them, and it was ridiculous, and that was exciting, and it's just um, I spent um, two hours or better with our reckless leaders yesterday. That's our student ministries um, leaders. And we're just wrestling and, and, and putting together the structure. We've had a great um, meeting on Wednesday night for our high school and middle school um, students. But now we've got some structure underneath of it that will make it a sustainable ministry. And we're so excited about where that is going. Now, having said that, understand this. We're having a parents meeting next week after this service. So if you have students that are in that group or should be in that group, um, I just talked to Jay and I just said, hey man, let's get the parents together and talk to them and that'll be a cool thing. So I just want to invite you parents to be here for that. This has been kind of just a, a, a bit of a day, you know, meetings all day on Saturday and interacting with people and uh, let's just admit it, today's a big day. Today is a big day and I'm not saying anything about it, uh, no. Okay, I thought about it, I did, and I'm not using that word, but here's the deal. This morning is about Jesus. It's about Jesus and you, and that's where I'm keeping it today, and I want it to be there. And, and you know, and I came in today, and, and believe it or not, we've been robbed. Okay, I'm not making this up. We've been robbed. Okay, somebody kicked the door in last night, actually just pulled it open real hard, um, and came in here and stole a computer and wandered around the church. It's kind of funny because you can, I can get on my cell phone and say, look, there he goes. He's running. And I want him to say, get out! Stop it! It's inconvenient! Move! It's like 11.43 last night. It was crazy. You know what the other thing was? I got a phone call from a law enforcement um, official, and he said, hey, do you want us to you know, write up a report and arrest him and all like that? He said, we can make him come apologize to you if we, if we find him. I said, no, I want you to bring him because he probably needs my help. You know, we could at least do something. Well, it just so happened that during the sermon in the last service, he showed up at the front door. All on his own accord. Thank you, RPD, all of you. Listen, all of you that are in law enforcement... I wish he would have come in so I could have given him a coffee and a donut. He tried to beat up a couple of police officers and they took him to jail. I'm not kidding, okay? <laughs> Welcome to the vineyard, man. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? But thank you, law enforcement, for keeping us safe. It was an inconvenient moment this morning, okay? But I am very thankful for those of you that give your life that way. Today, I really, I mean, I love what our worship team does. Don't they rock it? Doesn't our worship team, I mean, they take us to the throne of grace. Listen, it's okay for us to celebrate that because Paul did. He said, thank these people for letting you in their home. Thank these people for that. But I just wish they would learn real worship songs, okay? And I really wanted this worship song today. It, it goes something like that. It goes something like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee... Remember that? Huh? You're giving yourself away. And a wee little man was he. Okay, well, I, I thought, man, we can sing this today because that's what the message is about. It will fit. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. I, I just want you to know I am not 
actually in control around here, believe it or not. Okay? It's like, whoa, I signed your check. You don't sign mine. But we didn't do Zacchaeus as a wee little man either. Okay? And so there we are. But I, you know, it's like, come on. Couldn't we just sing Zacchaeus as a wee little man and remember the little churches we got saved into and how cool that was? Let's talk about Zacchaeus as a, as a wee little man. Okay? There's a scripture in, in Luke 19, and Jesus is passing through, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the idea of an inconvenient transformation. That's what we're looking at, is the inconvenient transformation, because I know a lot of people that know who Jesus is. I know a lot of people who know about Jesus, but let's just be honest, there's a lot of people pretending to know Jesus that don't know Jesus. And I don't know if you're sitting in here today, and this sermon is not a great big stick or a whip. This sermon is just a reminder, um, when the Lord just began to move in my heart, why I do what I do. I am so thankful for the times that I get to sit with people and they say, you know what, I was in the children's ministry or, or area and I was over here, or I was on the worship team or they were playing a song and my life has changed ever since we've been here. And that's on you, man. That's on you for serving, for loving, for inviting and for giving. That's on you. And that's what we're doing here. And that's what moves my heart. And when somebody comes forward, I just stand over there and cry like a baby. You know, it's like, yes, this is amazing because we need Jesus. And I honestly believe, I honestly believe that if you will stop and look at yourself and realize your need, that this transformation can take place. Without the transformation, there's no Jesus. And I want to look at that today. An inconvenient transformation. Remember, inconvenient means difficult. It means uncomfortable. It means costly. It means hard. But let's look at this story. In the book of Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 1, Luke says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jericho is about 15 miles or so from Jerusalem. A very, very, very busy city back in its day. Very profitable city. It says a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Once you go to Bible college, you realize it's Zacchaeus, but you can't get over saying Zacchaeus because it rhymes, it rhymes in the little song. Okay, with we. And so we and Zacchaeus needs to go together when you're singing the song. Zacchaeus, no, no, no. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. So his name is Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. That's important. He wanted to see who Jesus was, because he, but because he was short, he could not see. That's important over the crowds. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. That's important. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus... There I slipped into it. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of one of those people. That kind. Them. Do you see who he's having dinner with? Who he's having tea with? It doesn't say tea, but let's just give it to him because it rhymes with that key. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look here, Lord, look. Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. That's important. He didn't say son of Moses. He said son of Abraham. Very important. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And that's the whole point of Jesus being here um, on this planet, is to seek and save you and I as lost people. And so you've got this great picture, and here's Jesus, and he's about 15 miles from Jerusalem. But we're in the 19th chapter of the book of Luke, so he's headed to Jerusalem. He's moving toward the cross. Hang with me here, okay? So he's moving toward the cross, and he has to go through Jericho. Jericho is on the road from the Jordan to Jerusalem. You go right through it to get to the spot where the baptizing stuff like that takes place. It's a town of about 44,000 back then, okay? It was a commerce center. It made a lot of money for the ruling family in Jerusalem, okay? And so it was a hopping little town. And here comes Jesus, and he's cutting through, and there's a little guy. There's a guy who is short of stature. There's a chief tax collector. Chief tax collector means he wasn't running the um, H&R Block branch in Kroger's. He was running all of the branches in central Kentucky, okay? That means he had people that worked for him. He had people. These are my people. They're collecting my money. And he was good at what he was doing because we can tell because it says, and he was a wealthy man. So he was really good at what he was doing, at squeezing a couple of more dimes out of you, making it happen. And so this is him. And as Jesus is coming through, um, we see that um, 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 Zacchaeus, he, he wants to see Jesus. He hears that he's coming and he decides, hey, I'm going to go. And so can you see, can you see him? He's, he's like behind the crowd doing this because he's a short guy. If you Google it, the average height of a man in Jerusalem back in Jesus' day was 5'5". Five, five. I'm six foot one and three quarters and I want every inch of it. He was 5'5". Five, five. What's up? Like that. And here he is kind of doing this because it said he was shorter than everybody else. And so can't you just see him? It's my picture. Go with me. And so he's like, hey, hey, I can't see over. And he's got a problem because nobody likes him because he's a tax man. They're not cutting him any slack. Hey, squeeze over here a little bit. Hey, back off, Zach. This ain't tax business like that. And so here he is, and he's trying to see, and he's trying to see. Now remember, he's, he's wearing like a summer dress with a belt around it, okay? Now he's not a cross-dresser, don't get me wrong, that's not what I'm saying. Don't go out of here and say, Pastor Joe said that Zacchaeus was a cross-dresser. No, I didn't. I said he's wearing a robe. It's just like a, a summer frock, my wife might call it, back in the day. But he had a belt around it, okay? And I can't find anywhere in the Bible to describe what's underneath of that thing. It's kind of like a kilt. No one knows. But the guy wearing the kilt. So here's Zacchaeus, and he's wearing a robe. He's got his sandals on. It's probably a nice robe because he's wealthy, and he's jumping up and down, and he can't do it. Check this out. Long before Zacchaeus shows up, somebody planted a sycamore fig tree because God had a plan for his son to walk down that road, and he was going to interact with somebody that was going to end up in the Word of God that was going to affect your life for the rest of eternity. You see how God plans things? You're not in this room by accident, are you? You're in this room because every day ordained for you was written down in them before any one of them came to pass. God has something he wants to say to you today. And so as he's walking along, he comes up, and, and, and the scripture says that Jesus comes up to Zacchaeus, and, and he does one of these, hey, Zacchaeus, come down here, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus comes busting down that tree, and he, and, he, and he goes home with Jesus, and he's, you know, oh, Jesus is at my house. This is so great. I love this. This is awesome. And he's doing all that kind of stuff, and what can I give you? And he's so overcome by the Holy Spirit that he says, I'm going to give away half of my wealth. Now, remember, he is wealthy. Want me to show you how wealthy he is? I'm going to give away half of my wealth, and then, after I've done that, and then I'm going to pay back people four times what I cheated them out of. 
He's got enough wealth that if he gives away half of it, he can still pay the people he cheated four times the amount that he cheated them on. Not one time the amount, not paying back dollar for dollar. Not paying back two dollars for a dollar. Not paying back, I'm going to pay back four dollars for every dollar I cheated them. That's a wealthy man. That's a figure in the community. That's somebody that people might look at and say, well, there goes that Zacchaeus. And they might say, well, he's a shyster. They might say he's a cheat. They might say he's a thief. But I'll tell you this, if he's spending money and buying dinner, and if I can just coin a phrase here, not coin the phrase, but share a phrase, if he's buying the beer, everybody's his partner. But as soon as the money runs out, he's done. He's on his own. It's very much like the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told. Got the inheritance, ran off. As long as he had money, the party was going, and you've got friends. But when you run out of money, you got no friends. And so we see this picture of Zacchaeus. Now, normally, I preach this message, and I'm so excited, you know, because Zacchaeus has three problems in his life, and his three problems are the exact same thing that he's got going for him. So let's just walk down this real quick. It's not what I want to talk to you about, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Zacchaeus led an inconvenient life because he was born short. I'm six, one and three quarters. The average man in Jerusalem back then is five, five. He's shorter than that. He might be in the fours. I'm in the sixes, he's in the fours. Six, four. There we are. He's short. And let's just be honest, there is a little bit of truth to just about everything out there. And so when people say, you know, short people, they're kind of fighters, you know, they, got, they are. Man, I got puppies at home. I got seven puppies at home. And that little tiny one born over there, I worry for her. I was in my room yesterday, and I heard those little puppies going at it like they were full-grown Rottweilers. Like that. And I'm like, save that little puppy. And I got there, and it was the little puppy doing it. It's like, save the big one. We've got him sold already. Good land. They're fighters. You know, they're the little ones. they got to get their share, and they fight, and it's okay. So he had something going against him. He was short, but he had something going for him. He was short, and he became a fighter. He had to fight, but he became a fighter. Bad going against him. He had to fight. Good, going for him. He was a fighter. Okay? Secondly, he had, he was, he, Zacchaeus had an inconvenient job. He was a chief tax collector. He was the one that everybody hated seeing coming. You just don't have a lot of friends when that's what's going on. You just don't. You know? I mean, I don't hate Jesus. I love Jesus. I will put it out there for Jesus. But when I'm with people that know that I'm a pastor and they're going to introduce me to their family and they're like, hey, um, I want to introduce you to um, somebody, Pastor Joe. And I'll say, hey, could you just drop the pastor thing for me? Could you just introduce me as Joe? Because as soon as you use the word pastor, people are going to start getting weird. They will. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to say it that way, Pastor. That slipped out. No, I didn't slip out. That's a regular word for you. That's why it came out. Out of the heart. The mouth speaks. There it is. Okay? I got no judgment on you. You know, it, it, obviously there's something on you that you've put on you that's like, I didn't mean to say that. Oh, sorry. Well, he, he, had a, he, he was a chief tax collector. He didn't have many real friends, in my opinion, just to kind of stick around as long as the party goes. The, the third thing was, well, he was a chief, chief tax collector. He had a job. Not only did he have a job, he had a job that made him wealthy. Bad, he was a chief tax collector. Good, he was a chief tax collector. See, there's a good side to everything. And he made a lot of money. That's the last one. He was wealthy. Zach was inconveniently wealthy. You know what people say about wealthy people? They must have cheated. They must have lied. They must have stole it. They must have done that. 
what about they worked real hard? What about they got an education and busted their tail 40 and 50 hours a week to get to where they are? How about they actually earned it for a change? But especially if it's a tax collector. No, they didn't. They cheated us all out of it. Nobody likes the tax collector. And if you're a tax collector, I'm sorry. I'm not talking about a tax preparer. I like the tax preparer. It's the tax collector that I'm not real fond of, okay? So that's where we are. When we see these people, we think they must, be, um, they must have the life because being rich, is, it's, it's just got to be amazing. And we think that because everybody knows Zacchaeus, everybody knows him, that must be amazing. We think people that have the big job and the big house and the big toys and the big stuff, that must be amazing. And yet, if that were actually true, the music industry in Nashville and Memphis and the people out in Hollywood would be the happiest people on earth. And it's just really sad to say it's not so. It's just not so. I'm not saying there are not some godly people there that are living their lives for Jesus and therefore they don't get the big roles, the big breaks and the big things. I'm just saying that by and large, all you hear coming out of you know, that kind of an environment is the destructive lifestyles. So clearly that's not what it takes to make you happy. Prosperity in and of itself is inconvenient because you have to manage it. So that's Zacchaeus, just a wee little guy. He's shimmying up the sycamore fig tree. He's up there in his robe looking down. He's happy to see Jesus. Jesus comes along and he's like, Zacchaeus, oh buddy, come on down here. Come down here. I'm coming to your house. We're going to go have dinner at your house, Zacchaeus. Let's go do this. Zacchaeus says yes. The Holy Spirit begins to get inside of his heart and he realizes something needs to change because he's hungry. And it's an amazing thing. If you could change one thing, about your life, what would it be? What's the one thing that you could change? Your hair color? Your hair texture? I can remember my sister growing up and thinking, if she could just change her hair texture. She did not like her hair at all. But people change the color all the time. You know, blue, purple, pink, you know, brown, black. We could use a little more black, in my opinion. Like brunettes. Anyway, body type. <laughs> Not that you need to know that. Okay. Of course, I married one. Um, would you change your body size and, si and shape? Is that what you would change about yourself? Would you change your skin color? Would you change your eye color? The family that you were born into? Your gender? Your economy? Your geography? We kind of like to think that God only wants us to have what we want. That if God really loved us, he would always say yes. And if that were the case, we'd be 6'4", really built, eat whatever we wanted and it wouldn't matter. We'd be really strong, incredibly healthy, very wealthy, and yet we're not. The thing that defines Zacchaeus isn't his job or his stature. It's not the sycamore fig tree. All of these things are just evidence of something, right? They're just evidence. They're, they're the evidence of the thing that actually defines Zacchaeus, and that is his hungry and transparent heart. That is what is so obvious. When he hears that Jesus is coming down the road, his heart is so hungry for something better, something more. There's got to be more than money and job and administration. and stuff. There's got to be more for me to invest myself, my resources, and my life into. And he's like, I've got to see this Jesus. You've got to know that that was an inconvenient moment for Zacchaeus when Jesus is at the bottom of that tree going, hey, Zacchaeus, you up there. 
Come on down here. I want to come to your house. You've got a decision to make. Am I going to let Jesus in my... I mean, can you imagine Jesus come to your house this afternoon and he's like, knock, knock, knock on the door and you go and you go to open the door and you're like, oh my word, it's Jesus. What am I going to do? It's Jesus. He's going to come in. Jesus is going to come in. Hey, Jesus, how you doing? I saw you at church this morning. It was good. The Holy Spirit just came on us. It was awesome. It's good to see you. I'll see you next Sunday. And we close the door. We don't want Jesus to come in and see the dust bunnies. We don't want Jesus to come in and see all the dog hair. We don't want Jesus to see the laundry. We don't want Jesus to see the dirty dishes. We don't want Jesus to come in. We just want to know that he's outside the door. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down here. No, I don't want to, but I'm thankful that everybody heard you invite me. Thanks, I'm going to stay here. See? Jesus was inviting himself into Zacchaeus' house. Can I come in your heart? That's what he was asking. And I've got a lot of people say they know Jesus, but what they really is, they know about Jesus. And that's the difference here. Zacchaeus is hungry and his heart is transparent and he just wants Jesus and he just can't stand it when they're having lunch and he just jumps up and he says, I'm going to give half of it away. And, then, and out of the other half, I'm going to pay back four times anybody that I've cheated. Jesus, you tell me who I cheated. You and I be like, Lord, I made all this money. I'm going to throw it up. Whatever you want to keep, you keep. Oh, I guess I get it all. That's how we do, isn't it? Is that what we're doing with our lives? What does it take for God to say, look, what you're doing is not what I want for you. You're crossing lines and compromising our relationship. Or you don't even know me. Come down here. I want to talk to you. I love that Jesus doesn't come down and start throwing rocks at Zacchaeus. He doesn't do that because that's not who he is in our lives. But I'm looking at this story and I'm loving and I'm saying, Lord, look at all these inconvenient things going on in Zacchaeus' life. And I'm just aware that Zacchaeus was overcome with his need to see Jesus. And that is an obvious work of the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you a question? Seriously. Why did you get up this morning and come in here? What, I mean, what compelled you? Why, why come in here? Why come, seriously, why come in here and sing four or five worship songs and listen to some lunatic rant on the stage back and forth and then go home and have lunch? I'm not trying to be funny. I'm asking you, what is it that you think could possibly happen in this room that compels you to say, yes, Jesus, instead of just rolling over and saying, man, I need the rest because I know you work hard and I know life is difficult and I know life is joyful. But there is something inside of you that the Holy Spirit is doing that says, if you will just come, and then when you come, you, we sit there and we're afraid to move, and the Holy Spirit is saying, if you will just move, if you will just keep coming. Coming to the chair was difficult, but it's the easy part. Getting the cup of coffee is not the hard part. But ask yourself, why do I come? And I think because the Holy Spirit is just pulling on your heart saying, man, listen, you got to trust me. Come closer. Come closer. And we're like looking out our door like, hey, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stay in my chair. I'm going to stay in my bed. I'm going to stay in the outer room. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. Zacchaeus was being drawn by the Holy Spirit. And I know the Holy Spirit's talking to you. I know he's drawing you. I don't, I don't think he's going, you're going to burn in hell. I don't, he's not doing that. He's saying, for God so loved the world that I'm here. Let me put my arms around you in your pain. Zacchaeus heard Jesus knocking on the front door of his heart. 
But see, in those inconvenient moments, we've got to make a decision, don't we? Do I let him in or do I pretend to let him in? Do I let him in or do I pretend to let him in? What's going on in your life? Listen, again, I'm not here to beat you down. I'm here because I believe in the power of Jesus, not only to to be raised from the dead, but to raise me from the dead, out of the life that I used to have and into what he wants. Book of Revelation, John says that Jesus says, as many as I've loved, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anybody hears my voice and opens that door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To the one that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I have also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. And so we've got this picture of Jesus knocking on on the door of your life saying, let me into that area. I already know the laundry's a mess. I already know it's this. I already know it's that. Listen, but we're kind of like, well, all sin's the same to God. Listen to me. I, I, I need you to grab a hold of this truth again. All sin is not the same to God. Stop putting that on memes and putting it on social media. It is not true. All sin has the same end But all sin is not the same. And if you don't believe me, read the book of Leviticus. If you steal, you have to pay back twice. If you murder, you have to be stoned to death. Is that the same? No. And it was God that ordained that, not man. All sin is not the same. Spiritually and eternally, all sin has the same consequence. But all sin is not the same. And as Jesus knocks on our heart, we're so afraid, afraid that he's going to see the stuff Listen, I love you. He already sees the stuff. He does. I came in this morning and my flesh welled up because I need a heart transplant continually. Little four-year-old Joe felt taken advantage of and man, he wanted to go find the guy that robbed the church and deal with it and do all this. And the Lord said, really? Because what I need you to do is invite him in for a cup of coffee and a bagel. Well, today it's donuts. And tell him that if he's got to steal from you, from me, I mean Jesus speaking, then he's the one we need to help. Because he needs to understand that that's not the way it works. I'm not saying the government doesn't need to do something about it. They probably do. And they are. But something inside of me, there has to be a change. Zacchaeus was convicted and responded to Jesus. Half my kingdom, four times what I took. Jesus met a man named Nicodemus who wanted to know what it meant to, be born, uh, to, to um, enter eternal life. And Jesus said, I tell you that nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Born again is a term from the 70s and 80s. Hey, you've been born again? You've been born again? We don't say that very much anymore. You've been born again? That means have you laid down your life, died and been baptized, been resurrected through this new birth of the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're not the person you used to be? How can somebody be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Verily I say to you, nobody can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. And what he's talking about is transformation. That's exactly what happened in Zacchaeus' life. A transformation. Has there been a transformation in your life when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Was there a transformation? And is that transformation still going on? Because where there is no transformation. I'm just telling you right now, there's no salvation taking place. 
If there is no transformation, no obvious work of the Holy Spirit, no thing going on inside of you, then you've got to ask yourself, if you are the same person that you were when you claim to have gotten saved and you're still doing the same things and you have the same thoughts and you are still in the same lifestyle and nothing's changed, well then, nothing's changed. And nothing will change if nothing changes. It's about the transformation. It's a biblical fact. If you interact with God, the person of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, you will be changed. And Paul challenges us in that. The person claiming to be born again is still doing the same things. They haven't been born again. Paul says it this way about how we used to be. As he writes to the church in Galatia, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. We used to be adulterers. We used to be involved in fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, even if they say, I, I know, but I was born again. You know, I, I meet people, and they can be the roughest, drug addicts sleeping around robbing the bank kind of people and when you say listen let me talk to you about Jesus and they say man I got, I got saved when I was seven nothing's happened see you didn't get saved you went through some religious motions and that's what Paul is telling us transformation is the evidence of the born again experience can you claim it. Now listen to me. Don't everybody run up here and say, no, I can't claim it. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. But I'm saying you are changing your thinking drastically and coming away from sin. That you are radically willing to step out of a bad relationship that's taking you away from Jesus. Step out of a bad job that doesn't bring glory and honor to Christ. Come away from your rage. Come away from... You know, how is it that when we're at work, somebody can swing the door open to us as we're walking down the hall... Bam! It hit us in the head, break our nose, rip our ear off, blind our eye, and then they're like, oh man, I'm sorry. And, we're, and what do we do? Hey man, it's okay. It's okay. It's, I'm just going to go to the doctor and get facial reconstruction surgery, but it's all good, man. But heaven help if we're in the house and, and our spouse or one of our kids swings that door and it hits us in the face and we go off like a nuclear bomb. <laughs> man, we're getting it backwards. Don't, don't go off at work like that or you'll end up in jail. Okay? I'm just saying, why do we do that to the ones we love the most? See? They need to be able to see this transformation that's taking place, and bursts of outrage or of rage are listed with idolatry and lewdness and sexual immorality and all of those things. But Paul challenges us in his letter to the Colossians when he says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death whatever therefore belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to do this in the life you once lived. But you've been transformed, he's saying. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as anger, rage, malice, uh, slander, 
filthy language from your lips and don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of its image of uh, knowledge in the image of its creator you've been resurrected with Christ it's an inconvenient transformation Paul's saying, change your focus to heaven. Change your activity to reflect what you say is your relationship. Change your language. Our language should change. Man, when I was a sinner, I was a filthy cusser. I really was. I was awful. And nobody came to me and said, well, Joe, if you're going to love Jesus, you've got to stop talking like that. I knew. I knew. If Jesus was in my heart, I needed to let go of that need to cuss and swear and... and, and Man, let it go. He says in filthy language, let it go. Let it go. Change your purpose. Enjoy your job, but recognize the mission. It means change. Why do you choose to believe somebody that tells you it's okay to get high or drunk or to steal or to cuss or swear or sleep around, and yet they mean it when they say, oh, I surrendered my life to Jesus. I love Jesus. No, they don't. They don't love Jesus. If they love Jesus, they would obey his commands, and his commands would not be burdensome, John says. See? It's important for us to understand the inconvenience of the transformation that causes us to understand the inconvenience of continuing to sin. Has there been that transformation in your life? The one that says, God, I, I don't just surrender. Take up residence, Holy Spirit in this body. Jesus' response to Zacchaeus shows us that an inconvenient transformation is exactly what God's looking for. It's a new heart. Unless you're born again, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus told Nicodemus. Paul tells the church in Corinth, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And God's got a new life for you. He does. Zacchaeus' life was inconvenient. It was instant. It was public. It was expensive and humiliating. But it was real. And Jesus told him, Today, salvation has come to your house because you are a child of Abraham. You know why he said Abraham? Because the promise to Abraham was to be a blessing to the nations. The promise through Moses was 613 commandments and you're one of the priests of the world, if you will. You and I enter, according to Paul's church, a letter to the church in Rome, we enter through the promise of Abraham that Jesus would come through the Hebrew people and then we, we would get to be a part of that, that promise. That our nation, our person has been blessed because of Abraham's obedience. That's the invitation. Have you ever? Listen, we're not here to play games. I don't get extra credit for dragging you forward. The church doesn't give me a bonus check at Christmas time for doing things like that. Okay, that's not how it works. But I'll tell you this Jesus Christ changed my life. He did. And I know that surrendering to Him, I don't care how many times I got to repent, I, I give it to Jesus and make decisions that way, and I end up in a life that I never dreamed of. I'm going to do this until the day I die. I am ready to go home right now. I am ready. My wife knows I'm ready, and she wishes I would stop saying it. I am ready. 
I know that God will take care of my wife, my children, my in-laws, my grandkids. I know that I want to go home. I want the trumpet to blow. But as long as I'm here, until I get to leave this stinking, broken, aching, getting older body and go home, I'm going to continue to try to convince you that walking away from sin and embracing the blood of Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit transform you radically is going to be the best thing you ever do. And I'm going to pray every time that when you come in here, you realize that you've been drawn in here by the Holy Spirit because for some reason, you actually believe that something can be different in your life, but you've still got to be willing to move from the parking lot to the front door, from the front door to the coffee, from the coffee to your chair, and from your chair up here. I know you can do it there. But I'm just saying, if it's time for you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I just, I just want you to come up here. Can we do that? If you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, will you come see my friends right here? It's time. You know it is because you are squirming inside and you don't understand it. It's just time. I don't care how long you've been coming to church. lady got saved this morning, literally actually got saved this morning. Had been coming here for two years. These people want to pray with you. If something else is going on in your life that you need prayer for, and you just need to, it's like you just need to be touched. You don't want Jesus to go through this room and you're still stuck up in the tree. You want Jesus in your heart. You want him knocking on you want to open it can you come over here and let them pray for you and i promise you if they get busy we'll get more people because this is the business this is the family business seeing people's souls saved and seeing their lives healed so we're going to go into this song you come up to your feet holy spirit we say come come here so we can leave our garbage and our baggage and whatever else it is lord come and touch our lives